Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 199 of the Food Biz Whiz podcast and our final show of season 17. We are taking next week off to rest and celebrate, and we'll be back in two weeks as we kick off season 18 of the podcast with episode 200. This episode is another in our series called Is It Worth It, Charlie?, where I sit down with students inside our Retail Ready community to think through pivotal decisions that they are about to make in their business to help them determine whether or not moving forward with that decision is worth it. Now, if you are joining us for the first time, I'm Charlie Birkinshaw, and in addition to running my own CPG business, Element Shrub, I also support and advise students inside our Retail Ready course and community. And in today's episode, I will be sitting down with fellow Retail Ready student, Julieta Octavio of Sebon to talk about whether or not she should launch a ready-to-drink version of her existing product line. So if this is something you have ever thought about or debated doing yourself, well, I am excited for you to listen in and let's find out, is it worth it? I'm Allie Ball, former grocery buyer and retail store manager turned wholesale consultant. In my role on the retail floor, I saw delicious, values-driven brands fail on our shelves simply because they didn't understand the behind the scenes of wholesale. I created the Food Biz Whiz podcast to give you hard-to-access insight from my career in the food industry and the tools and strategies to help you succeed on retail shelves. If you're a committed food founder who's looking to create and grow a packaged products business that positively impacts our food system, puts wealth back into your own hands, and employs members of your local community, you have found the right podcast. Let's do this. This episode is supported by Retail Ready, our course, coaching, and community for packaged products brands who want to land on more wholesale shelves and have high sales once you're there. You are in luck. We are inviting you to jumpstart your enrollment and join us today. No wait list, no watching the educational masterclass, no sales call required. If you know you need the support in building systems for sustainable success, plus a community to hold you accountable and expert tailored advice from me and my team, consider this your official invite. Click through to the information and enrollment page linked in our show notes, read through our robust FAQs to ensure that you are the right fit, and join us in a matter of minutes. I'll see you soon inside of Retail Ready. Julieta, welcome. It is so great to have you on the show today. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Charlie. Hi. Hey, so uh, as I said in the introduction, today we are going to talk about whether or not you should launch a ready-to-drink version of your product. Uh, selfishly, I'll say this is one of my favorite topics to talk about since we at Element Shrub also launched a ready-to-drink version of our product. But before we jump into all of that, um, Julieta, I'd love for you to give us a quick introduction of yourself, uh, your brand, Sebon, and tell us how things are going how things have been going for you inside Retail Ready since you joined us at the beginning of this year. Yeah, sure, Charlie. Um, So I come not from a product company background, um, but actually a medical healthcare background. So this is an all new venture for me, um, which of course I started during COVID. (laughs) So uh, I mean, basically we're we're a woman-owned, doctor-founded mushroom and adaptogen elixir company. And I created 
elixirs. Um, during COVID, when I couldn't see patients in person, um, I would see them on Zoom and they were just, everyone was super stressed and anxious and drinking a lot of alcohol. And um, this was a, an offering I made for them to help basically harm reduction, to give them an option that tasted like alcohol. It gave you a little bit of a light buzz, but it didn't have any of the detrimental uh, health issues that, that excess alcohol does. Um, and it was my, my patients that actually drove me into starting the company because they, they would ask for more bottles for friends or family or whatnot. Um, and then, you know, kind of naively, I, I thought, sure, I can just start a, a <laughs> <line> on the side. <laughs> yeah. And then realized very quickly, I was in way over my head. Um, and then I got turned on to you guys. So retail ready has been great for me. Um, because I had no experience in the, in the industry and, you know, that's not my background or my education. Um, it was just super helpful to have, you know, what are industry standards? Um, is this normal, you know, uh, what are best practices? All of this, um, has been really helpful for me. And that said, um, I would say that my company, you know, my model of growth is slow, steady. Um, and I'm really interested in, you know, really, really fully occupying this, the space I'm currently in before I move to the next space. Um, so in that sense, it's going great. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. I mean, COVID, COVID was a crazy time. It's, it's fun. And I love hearing about stories about brands that were started during, during COVID and, uh, glad you were able to create a, a business opportunity, uh, out, out of all that. And great that you, you know, you solved a problem that clearly your, your patients had and, um, and that you're continuing to, to do that. I know that just being a sort of member as a brand in the, in the non-alcoholic, non-alcoholic space, it has just seen this explosion over the last 18 months. And so I think that's been, that's been really, really exciting, really exciting to see. So. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, yeah, so um, let's let's set the stage for our listeners. Let's jump into this this topic here. Um, right now, Sebon currently creates a line of non-alcoholic concentrated mushroom elixirs. So kind of like like a bitters. Is that is that right? They are. They're like a bitters, but they're blended with honey, um, and so they're a sweet a sweet bitters essentially. Okay, cool. Um, so you're you're basically thinking of taking that product, but for lack of a better term, like diluting it and carbonating it and putting it in a, a can so that people can just drink it on the go, right? Correct. Because what it, what it's modeled after is a Maro. So like a Frenette Branca, a Frenette Leopold, that kind and that kind of thing. Um, uh, Chinar. Um, cool. It, yeah. But yeah. That's what it tastes like. Um, so it, you know, if, if somebody knows what to do with an Amaro or an Amari, then they know what to do with this, but that's a very narrow funnel, right? So. <laughs> sure, sure. In the U S for sure. But yeah, yeah. Right. So more, more of like a spritz maybe than like a, it, like a, a, a ready to drink soda. Right. So. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So what we, what we would make is a ready to drink aperitivo for them. Got it. So yeah. Okay. We would, yeah. We take all the, the, you know, the heavy lifting out of it and just give you a beverage. Got it. And so just, I mean, thinking out loud here, you would fall more like this, this ready to drink product would be more in the non-alcoholic, like 
space than maybe like the kombucha space, if you will. Correct. Yeah, correct. Uh, okay, cool. So um, currently have this line of concentrated products, right? So what got you thinking, what sort of data, I guess, from your either your customers or your business is telling you that this ready-to-drink line is sort of potentially the next step in the evolution of Sebon? A couple things. Our, our uh, wholesale accounts have been like, you should make ready to drink. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's overwhelming and scary. No, thanks. <laughs> and then uh, I've done, a, I've done a, no, a number of like, at, uh, we did a, a collaborative event at Outside Lands for the Platinum um, VIP experience with Madre. Okay, yeah, it was awesome. Um, and they have a, they have ready to drink um, desert water, I think is what they, and, and, you know, when I was talking to my friend in that company, he's like, yeah, this, you, you would, this would be great for you guys. Or when we started talking about collaboration, collaboration. Um, and then my customers are like, you know, the, the customers that I have are like, Hey, you should make a ready to drink. And then the customers that I don't have are like, I don't know how to use this product. What do I do with it? Um, do I, is it either like, they're like, is it essential oil? Is it a tincture? Like, what is it? Um, and so that's come up so many times. I was like, you know, I could put, I don't know, $20,000 into marketing and education about how to use the thing, or maybe I could just put that money into making it ready to drink and give it to them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. And so yeah. these are all like proactive statements, right? You're not like, you haven't been sort of leading them along the way of like, Hey, like we're trying to see what we're going to do next. These are all like customers that are saying, Hey, Juliana, like, this is what I want. I like your product, but like, this is what I want. <laughs> that, yeah, that, that, that's the proactive side of it. I've also been asking, you know, sure. if this was a canned beverage, would you drink it? <laughs> you know, um, and people are like, oh yeah, absolutely. I get, you know, I'd get it and take it to the park. I'd get it. And, you know, um, do I believe them? I believe them more because the proactive side is saying yes too. Got it. Um, got it. And when you, when you are like out there, selling Sebon in its current format, how are, like, if you're doing a demo or you're doing an event, how are people enjoying it? Are they taking like drops? Uh, are they, are you mixing it into soda? Like what's the. So when we um, like, we have a number of bar programs that picked up, have picked us up like West, um, West beverage consulting or Rye on the road. Um, uh, and they use it as an ingredient in cocktails. And the best way, the most successful format for that is to take a cocktail name that people already recognize and then say, would you like a mushroom Paloma? Would you like a Sabon, you know, uh, old fashioned mm -hmm. or something so that they, they have, it's like a novelty familiar. Sure, sure, um, sure. As a, as an ingredient. Um, and that's primarily what we do at events. Um, and then, and then, uh, like trick dog bar made a, a not put in a non-elk, uh, like, a, uh, they used it with, uh, Martini Rossi, um, Floreal okay. and, and then had as, as an ingredient. I also, um, you know, it, it also gets used as a water plus option. So for a non-alcoholic table, they would just sell them the whole bottle plus a bottle of sparkling water and they could mix and match it however oh, they like. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Um, I like that term. I've never heard the water plus 
<laughs> yeah, water service gets tricky in restaurants and hotels because who's in charge of water service? Um, sure. Yeah, but that's an, that's for another podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very cool. Uh, okay, so it sounds like one of the biggest barriers right now for you is this education barrier, right? You need to convince people, one, I mean, partially like what your product is, right? There's, I I would imagine, I mean, I'm not specifically familiar with the mushroom elixir space, but I would imagine you don't have that much competition in the current format. So you're, you're kind of bringing something new, like at least a new format to the. Yeah. And, and that's, Good and bad because right. um, you know, when we launched when we launched in September 2021, um, people were like a mushroom. What? Uh, you know, like they didn't know mushroom and they didn't know elixir. So yeah. that was a huge problem. By the end of 2022, I would have people come up to me at events and be like, the, just just the use of the word mushroom, and they would open their mouth and be like, put it in. I don't care. Put it in. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, there's what this is, you know. Uh, so the amount of like there was a wave of mushroom related products and mushroom mania that yeah, came yeah, yeah. in 2021 and 2022, which really you know benefited us a lot. Um, and our differentiator is that we're you know a hyper local, sustainably grown and wildcrafted, doctor developed, laboratory um, produced product as opposed to a thing that marketers, you know, use a couple of mushroom names and then they waved a mushroom over the bottle. So, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> it's like, you know what I mean? Sure, sure. Um, yeah. And so, it, but that also works against us too, because our price point is higher. Um, you know, so there's sort of all these pros and cons of, of the mushroom world. Um, yeah. And, and definitely makes it easier, I would say, right. To like if if you are that and if you want to continue to be that like local locally sourced like uh, ingredient product, having this sort of concentrated mushroom elixir that's sold at a much higher price point, it, it's easier to control that sort of supply chain with those sort of local vendors. But I mean, we're also talking about this this option of going ready to drink, right? And how are you able to maintain that? those, those local relationships and still keep your supply chain kind of where it needs to be to potentially like take this national. Right. And, right. Um, and yeah. And that's where I'm starting to interview new suppliers because, um, you know, our hyper, hyper local, you know, like old man who goes and forages in the woods guy, who, <laughs> you know, produces all of our Turkey tail extract. Yeah. It's not going to fit for very sure. long. Right. So, you know, now we're looking at um, who who can produce more than five gallons a month um, of you know raw ingredient material. Um, yeah. You know, or, or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. So that all all of that is now in research too. And I what the, the other thing I would just want to bring up is I see I see them serving two different functions within the company. And the ready to drink is a lower price point. It's cheaper for us to produce. Um, it's, it's from a flavor profile perspective, it's, it's less, um, elitist, I guess, than an Amaro. Um, and it can be sort of our gateway drug, right? And then if people really want to geek out on, you know, the most magical, um, specialty, uh, mushroom and adaptogen, non-alcoholic cocktail bitters, then they can ramp up to our premium elixirs. 
Mm -hmm. Um, And so I don't know if that's faulty logic on my part or not, but I kind of think that they can work well together as long as one or the other doesn't overwhelm, you know, the business in terms of it's what's. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, it's just speaking purely from my own experience of having, you know, Element Shrub was a, a brand that had a concentrate uh, that I thought would serve some function, right? Of, hey, like people that want to make their own drinks for food service, for bars, for restaurants. Um, and then their ready to drink was for people who wanted that like ready to drink format immediately. Uh, they didn't want to have to worry about the ratio. They just easy, like open drink done, right? Um, I will say that having those two separate even even though both were art shelf stable, it felt like running two separate businesses um, kind of at the same time. So, and, and I would say, you know, when, since we're both in this position where we are trying to educate the consumer on what shrubs are, what a mushroom elixir is and why, why people should drink it, you you have to educate people in both places, oh, right? So drive two lanes and so place. some yeah, and so sometimes sometimes you think that the people that like you're ready to drink are automatically going to sort of switch to your switch to your concentrate at some point, um, or or vice versa. But it's not it, it's sort of the same audience, but. It, it it can also be sort of a different a different audience depending on the channels that you're you're selling it into, right? Um, or even the aisles that they can find the product in, right? Um, in in the Venn diagram of overlap of customer between ready to drink and a and a shrub, say you know a concentrate, um, was it fifty percent or twenty five percent in your experience, or like is it a good thing to gather two different audiences and then have a little overlap, or is it better to have to grab, you know, full overlap. So I guess I would say it depends on the stage that you are at in your company. And, you know, when I think about some of the other bigger brands that are, that are out there, you're, you're still as, as, as a smaller brand that just started a couple of years ago, right? You don't have as big of an audience, I don't think I'm making an assumption here, but as some of these like larger, super well-funded brands out there that, you know, I just thinking about like, I guess Oatly as an example, right? So for the longest time, all they made was milk, right? Oat milk. And then eventually they went to ice cream, uh, right? And so they have this line extension, but they already had this huge audience that was ready to purchase their ice cream, right? And 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 right now, you may not have that audience that's ready to go. You may not have a large enough audience that's ready to go out and buy this ready to drink at the volume that you'll need them to buy it at in order for it to, to be successful. Because I think one of the things that, um, you know, and we're, we're sort of jumping ahead here, but one of the things that, you know, I think is very different about the ready to drink side of things uh, compared to sort of this concentrate side of things is 
it's it's a it's a pure like volume game, right? You have to sell X, like 10X then I mean, I'm making these numbers up, but 10X the number of ready to drink bottles to, to make the same dollar margin that you would make on one concentrate bottle, right? Just to sort of move the needle forward. So, um, so I would say in terms of that overlap, it, it it's maybe it's not the overlap of sort of different customers, but you just, you want to have your audience big enough when you, when you launch that other line that you have this, like these people that are just like ready to purchase and, um, you know, and get out there and, and buy your product depending, but, but then there's going to be some retailers, right. Where only they, they're only going to want you're ready to drink and they're not going to want to carry your concentrate. So if this shopper only shops at Wegmans or Rainbow Grocery or wherever it is, maybe they only have the option to purchase one of your products and therefore they're sort of missing out or they have to be sort of further educated on where to find that other product line of yours, right? And then and then, then the question is like, what sort of cannibalization is there? Like, yes, they're still within your brand sphere, right? But if you're taking them away from your ready to drink and now they're buying your concentrate, is that worth it? Is that like cost of acquisition to move them from one product to the other sort of worth it for you in the end? Or I don't know, like it's a... If they move if they move from a wholesale account to a direct-to-consumer purchase on my website, then yes, absolutely. Right, right. Um, you know? Yeah. Um. So yeah, I see the I see if if I go forward with the, with the ready to drink, I see it being much more popular in all of the specialty grocery, um, you know, and the tinctures or the elixirs being more more uh, picked up by lifestyle stores, um, and yeah. so they're kind of separate, you know, or the elixirs being picked up as a bar ingredient, um, you know, I don't know if bars or restaurants buy canned beverages in the same way. Um, I haven't done enough research on that. It depends on, I would say, the type of bar and the volume that they're doing. Um, I mean, I'll speak personally, the bar that we have in Georgetown, the Fountain Inn, they, we do not tend to carry ready-to-drink products other than beer, I guess, right? Um, but we also make all of our other sort of syrups and things like that in-house. So. In-house, yeah. Yeah, got it. Do you still have a ready to drink? I'm so curious. Uh, so no. So I, I've actually, I've just, dis, we've discontinued our, our, our ready to drink. Um, we can, we can talk more about that uh, later. I'll share um, cool. okay. some of the, some of the things that I think I, I wish I had done differently, but. Um, Always true. Right. I mean, you have to learn by doing on a certain oh, yeah. level after, yeah. after data gathering. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's, let's get back to, um, let's get back to this topic. I mean, we're, we're still talking about it, but, uh, (laughs) when you think about sort of the pros and cons, and we've touched on these a little bit, um, let's starting with the pros. What do you, what do you see as not best case scenario, but what do you, what do you see the benefits of doing this? Right. We talked about maybe making it more of like more accessible to the market, um, potentially helping with, uh, education, right. Eliminating that barrier. Uh, yeah. 
it's remo- removing the educational or uh, how to use it barrier. Um, definitely more accessible. I do think, you know, for me, a lot of this is is getting samples into people's hands and the cost of getting a full, you know, a full size elixir bottle as a sample um, is so much higher than if I were to give them a can. And the sure. photo, like the, the optics of a larger can being held, it's such so much more visually um, recognizable at, at that size than a, than a tiny concentrate bottle. Um, and so in terms of like getting it, get it, getting samples out to people, getting it to sort of air quotes influencers, um, it, it just becomes more accessible for me price wise. Um, and, uh, I do think, you know, the, the feed, like I said, the feedback I've gotten from broker distributor, um, and wholesaler is that, you know, certain of them are more interested in, in a ready to drink. Um, Interesting. yeah. Um, so that, those would be the pros. Um, yeah. So I, let me, let me just talk through some of those, right? I think I totally see the accessibility aspect of it, right? You're just literally making it ready to drink so that it's easier for them to consume. You're, you're selling it at a price point that is less, obviously, by a factor of three or four, I would imagine at least, than your than your concentrate. So it lets it lets consumers test your product without feeling like, oh, I, I don't want to spend what what's what's your price point for the concentrate? They're thirty dollars a year. Thirty dollars, right? So yeah. 30, I don't want to spend thirty dollars for this and not like it, right? Um, yeah. And even even though it's concentrated, even though they get you know a hundred right. servings from it or whatever, right? There's still this like, oh. Uh, price point too much. I, I don't want to do it. Right. And I, I get that too. Right. We, we used to sell, we used to originally sold, sold a 375 milliliter bottle for 1799. Um, and nobody, this was eight years ago and nobody knew what shrubs were like, it was almost like before kombucha was really a thing. And so it was really, really hard to get people to be like, wait, you want me to spend $19 to drink vinegar? Like, what are you doing? You must be crazy. Uh, so I I totally get that. Um, that said, I think one of the things, and this is me speaking more from experience than um, just, I don't know, uh, is that when you think about removing this barrier of education, I would encourage you to think about just the overall messaging of your your brand and how you're telling people about your concentrate. Because I would imagine if people have questions about, you know, what a mushroom elixir is, then if you call your ready to drink a sparkling mushroom elixir, that's not going to help that much. Right. Mm-hmm. And so how can you what, what sort of language can you use around your messaging or what sort of terminology can you use to make people think, oh, OK, like. I know what this product is and I know why I should drink it and I'm willing to pay you know X amount for yeah. it. 
Yeah. And that's why I think the word aperitivo, like non-alcoholic aperitivo, um, you know, ready, you know, ready to go, ready to drink, yeah. part, part, you know, event ready. Right. I mean, totally. whatever. And I think, I definitely think, you know, that is a term that has, that people are more familiar with, right. Than, than mushroom elixirs. So, so even just, you know, if you, if you even test out your switching out the labels on your concentrates and saying like, you know, I don't know, apertivo concentrate, like how would people react to that or like adaptogenic apertivo concentrate or whatever it is that is actually true. I'm just, uh, we've even thought of without thinking about your ingredients, but yeah. Yeah. We've even thought of going back to the word bitters just because it's even, even though we're not exactly a bitters, it's more familiar than anything else that anybody knows. So, yeah. So, so I guess what I would say is right. You don't want to like overinvest in this ready to drink concept by just copying and pasting what you're currently doing and hoping that that will um, just automatically flip the switch in terms of like, oh, okay, now people get it, right? Just because it's sparkling, yes, like you've lowered the price point from a practical, like pulling off the shelf. $4.99 Four ninety nine to six ninety nine, whatever it is, to pulling off the shelf for thirty dollars, um, but you haven't necessarily solved the education problem of like, well, if they see sparkling mushroom elixir, are they going to know what that is and be willing to spend, you know, five to seven dollars for it? Right? I think that's a great point. Um, so, which is why, like. I also think about, okay, well, let's, let's perfect and really like nail down this current product that you have and figure out what those barriers are to this so that once you solve those, then you can like copy and paste those new things that you've learned to this new line so that it, you know, just is exactly what everybody's looking for. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And this is great because it's like, these are the hard truths that um, are difficult to imagine activating when you're already down, you know, well, well far down a lane with a certain terms or names or whatever. And then, you know, the concept of like, wait, actually that term is not landing. So yeah. And I mean, just terms, terms for sure. But even just like, I mean, for us, for element shrub, it was more like, Oh, like, we just did this huge co-packing run and bought all these labels and printed all this, what we thought was right on it. And now like we've invested all this money in, in that. And now people want us to change it, but in order to change it, we need to do this other huge run. And is that worth it? I don't know. Right. So, so it's, it's making sure you get those things right at, at the beginning or like doing it, continuously being able to run sort of micro tests of, Hey, is this what you want? Is this the, does this work for you? Does this make sense? Do do you know what this means? Right. Um, I mean, I remember when we did the beverage BevNet showdown in 2018, we, the, the, the feedback that we got that was absolutely correct was Charlie, like, we love your product, but we don't know what it is and we don't know why we should drink it. And, and and so those two things are like 
the the two things you absolutely have to solve for um, and make it super obvious on your label that, you know, that that's why your product exists, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the problem I have with the the elixirs right now. On a one ounce bottle, the label doesn't have enough real estate to say much. Um, right. And so it gets really challenging to get all the information that the consumer needs to make a, a, a choice or to, or to be drawn towards it, you know, in a, in a nine point font. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, I mean, I totally get that. So what I would do is I'd encourage you to, I mean, one, you're not the only one that has, you know, a label that is what two inches by six inches, right? So I would go and look at some of the larger brands out there. Think about like, I don't know, the the ginger shots or the, you know, the the juice shots that are in the fridge, um, other supplement bottles that, you know, are in maybe a similar category, adjacent category to you and see the types of words that they're using, right? And I know in yours, you um, you do use a like functional word on each of yours. So whether it's like focus or energy, but you'll see that a lot, right? In these juice shots, whether it's like immunity or like blanking on any other words, but. Um, no, I hear you. <laughs> so I would, right. Cause I mean, at the end of the day too, those brands have spent a lot of money on R and D trying to figure out what consumers care about. And yes, it's not exactly your audience, but it's still a great place to start. And, and so take yeah. that. And then also go back to your, go back to your audience, right? I mean, we talk a lot about this in retail ready, right? So try like asking your audience who, like what, what they love about your product and how can you get them to tell you that, right? And then go yeah. talk about it. So, um, okay. So then you also talked about photography. Here's where like, I would argue like that might just be like a content thing where there's bidders companies out there that do a great job of like making their products look cool, putting them in cocktails, right? So I I would say, I, I would argue that, right, you could perfect that on the, the concentrate side and then sort of copy and paste some uh, artistic creative direction from there to whatever ready to drink um, side of things you're, you're doing. Um, and I also applaud you for asking these, your brokers, your distributors, your retailers, um, and I guess your consumers as well, if this is even something they'd be interested in, right? And starting to like gather that data rather than just be like, meh, ready to drink sounds awesome. Like I should do it. I don't, I don't really care what they think. Like I'm going to do it anyway, right? So. Yeah. I mean, the other thing I'm interested in doing is actually mining all those things really hard to see if I can get actually pre-orders for the sample run. Mm. Um, because, you know, I don't know that I have the runway to go forward beyond a sample run, not knowing if anybody's going to order it. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, well, let's, we'll talk about that um, in a little bit. Let's, so we talked about the pros here. What, what do you see as sort of the cons in this situation? Well, I mean, it's just a Pandora's box of uh, you know, a black hole of more work. <laughs> sure. So, 
um, and I'm always, I'm a very big picture person. So I, I'm the idea person. And then when it, it comes yeah. to, you know, drilling down in, into the details, I can do it. Um, but it's always a surprise. Like, I'm like, okay, actually the product development, you know, that's my passion. Um, and even that has more details than I think it will. Um, and particularly, you know, I've never, I've never worked with a co-packer. Um, I don't yeah. know what, you know, they'll handle, they'll kind of, uh, handle all of the regulatory, um, um, and compliance issues and, 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 you know, help create the correct formulations based on my formulations. But, um, I'm sure that's going to be a lot. The, the, the label design I think is going to be significant. Um, uh, yeah, the co-packer relationship, I think, you know, right now, because they have a tiny bottle storage, is not a big deal. You know, I can have, I can have $20,000 worth of inventory, you know, on a bookshelf, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Which I mean, it's one of the beauties of of bitters and small bottles, like that that space. Yeah. I, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, so it sounds like cost, right? And just sort of this, like, don't know what you don't know. Um, shipping. I mean, I don't. Hole, right. Yeah, and like shipping cans of of water. Essentially, this is like kind of against my core company values on a certain level, because the whole reason I made a concentrate is to have a small carbon footprint in shipping. But mm. from a sales perspective, you know, people see a tiny bottle and they're like, I'm not getting a value. It's so small. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 I mean, that's, that's a very, I, I mean, I feel like just in general in the CPG world, that's a, that's a difficult it's not a difficult stance to have, right? Like, I think a lot of people feel that way, but the reality is like when you're shipping anything, right? Yes, you're shipping a smaller bottle, but, um, you know, I think there's ways to address that. Uh, if you think about, well, okay, what are my values as a company? What do my, what, I mean, and then it's sort of that Venn diagram of sort of your personal values, your business values, and most importantly, the biggest of those three circles, your target audience's values. What do what do they care about, right? And um, and so, how can you create some sort of uh, profit contribution or doing X Y Z to sort of contribute back to that cause, right? And 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 get your consumers excited about that. And I mean, we we started this uh, campaign where we sell or we plant a tree for every bottle of shrub that we sell on our website. Um, more because it's actually sort of a joke at the beginning um, where we would get all of these like SEO calls from people that thought we were landscaping companies. And, um, and so it was, it was called like a shrub for a shrub campaign. And, um, and, and, but we were also very much into like upcycling and sort of reusing our ingredients so that, it felt good and it felt appropriate for our, our brand and for sort of me personally. And so, um, so I think there's ways to, to go around that, whether you're using fully sustainable packaging when you send stuff out. Right. So there's, there's ways to get around that particular. um, Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and just the value of making um, sustainably grown non-alcoholic drinks accessible to customers can offset that, that sure. downside. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, okay. So hopefully I can help share some or shed a little more light on sort of some of these costs and what you can expect. Storage is definitely one that I think 
I thought about, but didn't think enough about. <clears throat> so that's a great one. Great one to highlight. That said, right, but, you know, the same thing applies to your current line, right? When it comes to cost, the devil's in the details, and you want to make sure that you think through all of the costs related to whatever product line you you put out there, right? So you want to take that same strategy for this as well. And, and it sounds like you're doing a lot of research ahead of time, uh, which is great. Um, so let's see what else. Um, a couple of the things that I think about, right, is when it comes to cons, right, the cash flow is also something that I did not foresee being such a such a big deal, right? Um, I think as a new brand, as a uh, a new vendor for distributors, you're going to have much longer payment terms, right? So most of the large distributors out there are going to say you're net sixty, net ninety, um, which means you're not going to get your money back for you know, and if if they actually pay you on time, right? Um, and then there may be some sort of guarantee. There's going to be, if you're in the ready to drink space, right? I would imagine free fills are definitely going to be required for some of these larger uh, big box uh, grocery stores that aren't your local independent shops, right? If you really need to grow that volume. Um, and so it's really, and then, you know, with co-packers, you know, typically they are going to request money in advance of your production run and you're not paying with a credit card, you're paying with a check. And so that money <laughs> leaves your bank immediately. And before you've even sold or pre-sold a bottle, because you haven't had a chance to, to test it, right? So thinking about that projection of the first six to 12 months, worst case scenario, What's it going to cost you to store all of that? What's it going to cost for production along the way? What happens if this distributor places an order and all of it goes to free fills? And what happens if that happens to three different distributors at the same time, right? And um, and so, I mean, I'm not trying to overwhelm you, but like these are all things that I didn't think about in full, like right at the beginning. and. Uh, and so I would encourage you to be really honest with yourself about what that cash flow and what that runway looks like and to minimize the amount of production that you do at the beginning to test in super small batches and <clears throat> sell through whatever product you can before you can produce more so that you have enough cash to, to make it, right? Um, and really, really going back to that, what I said before about making sure your audience is big enough right at the beginning to really go and like buy everything that's on the shelf as soon as it's as soon as it lands on the shelf, right? Um, I think that's that's a big that's one of the big differences between the ready to drink and the concentrate, similar to how like you can keep you know twenty thousand dollars worth of inventory on a bookshelf, right? Um, right? The RTD space is such a volume game, right? And as I mentioned before, right, your dollar margins are smaller compared to your concentrate. So you're having to sell more and more units just to make the same amount of money 
Um, and also spreading yourself too thin across potentially two businesses at the same time. And at first, maybe you're just like testing one out to see if it's going to work. But ultimately, I think you'll, based on the data, have to decide which one to go with. Like I would, I would recommend picking one and going with that. Yeah, as opposed to running both. Yeah. Or you bring on somebody else mm-hmm. in the business to yeah. run one and you run the other kind of thing and you try to bring them together. But but then at the same time, like then it's this like <clears throat> this question about opportunity cost, right? And you know, well, we're spending this match amount of money on the ready to drink line, and this is our return on investment. We're spending this much on the concentrate, and this is our return on investment. What if we were spending, right? And then you compare those two and you say, okay, well, which is giving us a better result? And like, sometimes that's a hard decision. And there's obviously other factors that go into that as well. But, um, but it's that like opportunity cost question of should I, where should I spend my money and what's going to give me the, the better return? There's two things that come up for me in what you're saying. Um, one is right now I'm doing all the production personally, my, myself and my assistant. Yeah. So what's, what's attractive about the ready to drink and maybe becoming and, and may happen in the elixirs as well is co-packing. Um, because we spend so much time producing the product that we, I, I lose the opportunity cost of that is I don't spend yeah. as much time marketing or, you know, getting or, or yeah. focusing on sales, um, which is why I brought the broker on for the larger accounts. Um, so yeah, I'm thinking that there's that, that is, um, if there's a way to, to, to turnkey it, um, on, on the lower level items and then. I can focus on the things that only I can do yeah. um, that that might make it possible to do both. Um, the other thing that comes up is, you know, I can crunch the nu- real numbers on this, except for free fills. I don't have experience on what I can expect uh, uh, distributors or wholesalers to ask for in terms of free fills and how much that's going to cut into my margin. Yeah. Uh, so a free fill is one case per skew per store. <clears throat> so, um, and yeah, so you should expect that from your <clears throat> big regional to national uh, brands like Sprouts or Whole Foods. Um, now, some of the local stores might not. Um, might not ask for that, but but at first, right, when they're trying, you know, when you're doing this test run, you might, they might be like, hey, Julieta, we'll try it, but will you give us a free case and like, we'll put it on the shelf and we'll see how it goes, right? And now you're, you're basically saying, okay, well, this R&D cost that I'm going to spend on testing the product is basically like a sunk cost to see if this is a viable product. And and then, but then from then on, your refill is going to be applied to some of these larger accounts. And you you take that data that you gathered during this sort of R and D phase to to let retailers know, hey, this is how much we're selling, and um, and then hopefully that will 
maybe give you a little leverage in terms of, or not necessarily leverage, but knowledge of how much product you're actually going to go through and how quickly you're going to go through it. Got it. Okay. Um, layer upon layer, huh? <laughs> yes, there's a lot. <laughs> um, and I do think like it's super important to to focus on what you what you're good at, what only you can do yourself, right? And obviously, nobody's going to sell the be able to sell the product better than better than you. And so, you spending your time selling your product versus making it in the kitchen is definitely a, a better a better thing for for you to do as like the owner of the business. Um, that said, you know. I always think I always go back to this question of like, okay, well, if you found a co-packer for your concentrate, right? Or if this co-packer can also do your concentrate, great. Like what happens when you find a co-packer for your concentrate and you can step back and focus on sales for your concentrate? How is that going to affect your concentrate sales? And will that like make you just that relief of being able to go and knock on more doors and sell the product? help increase the awareness and the sales of your, of your concentrate. Right. Yeah. And that's a great point. I mean, it goes back to really, really maximizing the space that I'm already in before moving to the next space. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, so yeah, going back to, you know, what we put on the label and, and getting a, a solid co-packer and focusing on sales, that does sound like really the first step with the elixirs, you know, all this information gathering about the ready to drink is awesome. And right. it will make you ready to jump when I'm ready to jump. But what exactly. it's telling yeah. me is like, hold your horses, Missy. <laughs> <laughs> Take a deep breath. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think especially this early on as a, as a brand, right. You still, I mean, it, even the big brands today, right, are all constantly iterating their packaging, their their labeling, and all of that. So, um, it's it's totally normal to continue to want to to change those things to make sure that your audience, you know, really you're really connecting with that with your audience and the messaging that they want to hear from from you and about your product. In the process of research, um, is there are there uh, consultants you can work with to, to do all the R and D of product development for the canned beverage before you ever launch a sample run. So that I know these are the formulas I have in place. I know that they were, are, will be approved. Um, and so, and then I can start to kind of test them on a smaller scale, um, at events, um, like maybe, you know, a year or like kind of waiting until the right timing to launch the RTD, but, um, but have them sort of in low key usage or, um, I mean, I would say sometimes co-packers can do that. I would check with your co-packer. Maybe, maybe you have already, uh, but to see if they have a sort of like, I'll say R and D division where they, they actually create the formula for you and then they, they run it through their system. And typically they will make less product, um, but it's it's basically enough for you to like try it and have them test their equipment and see if everything works, see if your ingredients work with them, basically make sure that you guys are going to be a good fit for each other from purely like 
ingredients in, product out, relationships okay kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the co-packer that I'm looking at, that's part of their sample bundle. Um, mm. But I'm wondering if they will a la carte that for me. Um, and I can just figure that out. Because um, I mean, I, the only the only hard thing about that for them, right, is one. Obviously, they want you to be a long term client. There, there is some sort of uh, obviously, there's a big cost for them to stop their production line for a day just to do this sample run for you. Um, and obviously, that's why they're going to be charging you more per unit to to do it. Um, so, from their perspective, you know, think think about it that way. That said, uh, I think you you shared some numbers with me. Um, yes, yeah, that 25%. feels like a yeah. So th- those feel like a unfairly, or f- I'll call it a fair number uh, for doing like a ready to drink run for that volume, and and so the question is, even if you just did it in like just cans with no labels on them, right? To see, to get the formula right. And then, so step one would be like, okay, we're going to nail down the formula. We're going to run it through lab tests, make sure everything's good, blah, blah, blah. Eventually we might create some labels for these and launch them in the future. But for now, we're just going to test, test the formula. Now, of course, that would prevent you from selling it in store. So you might want to create a label so that you could test it in retailers if, if they would be open to that. But I think it would be worth it to do a sample run all in, yeah. um, you know, and, uh, and do the label design that they do shrink wrap labels with that. So, okay. um, yeah, yeah I, I would recommend like, if you're going to do it, I, guess, I agree. You might as well. Yeah. And aim for a break even do it and uh, test it. Yeah. Break even and or you just chalk it up to marketing cost, right? Like if you, if you lose money, at least you have learned, hey, I'm going to spend, I don't know, $5,000, $10,000 on this rather right. than like losing, I don't know, <laughs> X, X number of hundreds of thousand dollars over the next like five years because yeah. it didn't work, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, this is great. It's it's great to 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 kind of move back and forth between high level and granular, um, through this whole process, it just, it fills out a lot of, um, of data points and, and just gives me a really, a great idea of, of really more than anything, timing is so important in this process. Yeah. And I also think, you know, when it comes to retailers, right. I, I wonder if, if you are testing this out, you you also don't want to get the retailer, like you don't want to get too many retailers involved if you know you're not going to commit to it full, fully, right? And so, excuse me, testing it through direct-to-consumer channels, for sure, super easy. Uh, testing it through in-person events where you can really get people's feedback and having people other than you there getting feedback from people so that they're not just being nice to you because you're the founder and they know you, right? Um, And not just sending it to your friends and family who are going to always support you, uh, hopefully. Um, 
So, so getting, getting that feedback and maybe picking sort of one retailer that you have a really good relationship with and saying, Hey, I'm going to give you an exclusive on this. Be really transparent with them and say, I'm testing this out. I want, I know that this is the spot to do it. And this is where my true audience is, uh, depending on like how things go, you know, we may move forward with this, but I just want to be like transparent up front. I, and I mean, more than likely you may have to give the product away, but at least you will be, you'll, you'll have that data that you can use later on to, um, to share with future retailers. Mm-hmm. on velocity and which SKUs are working the best and yeah. what flavors people love and combining that with the direct-to-consumer and the in-person data that you get from from other people to, to know, okay, when we do our first smaller production run, then these are the three flavors that we're going to launch and, um, and go from there. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Um, Oh, just one more on the, when you triggered the SKUs question, um, I'm thinking maximum three SKUs. To start. I agree. Yeah. Okay. I think three is a good number. I wouldn't do more than three. Cool. And, and make them distinct from one another. Mm-hmm. And do like when it comes to the ready to drink world, I mean, Apertivo is like its own sort of space in terms of flavor profiles that people are trying to achieve, whether it's the like Campari or Aperol or Chinar or whatever the, the flavor profile is. But, you know, if you think about sort of the other like kombucha world, right, there are flavors that are very popular that you will see because every brand, you know, makes a ginger something, right? So don't ignore that data and try to say like, Hey, we're going to make, I don't know, like a chocolate aperitivo and expect that to do really well because nobody else has done that. And there's probably a reason why. Right. So, (laughs) yeah. And again, it goes back to like these big brands have already done most of that flavor sort of research for you. So you can be different, but still keep that sort of data in mind, cool. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think at the end of the day, right, it's this question for you of whether or not it's worth it to invest this money in the R&D now, right, to, to test this out, whether it's worth investing that money otherwise in the line of concentrates to really get that to a place where it's humming along and you're out of the weeds in production and you're feeling good about the business in general, your audience has grown, whatever it is, right? Um, And slowly sort of chipping away, like continue to do the research, right? I I think it's, uh, you can always just sort of do research in the background and like um, kind of figure out what this could look like, do the projections, make sure you're, ready to go. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. What, what think, else do you see is, I mean, if I, if I do a sample run with, for the RTD this year, I'd like to do it so that it's out by Q4, um, and use that Q4 as the 
kind of, you know, in all the events and all the things to do research on its viability. Um, if, if I don't make that mark, then I'll, I'll wait till next year. Um, yeah, I, I do know, you know, it, I don't know if there are, are sort of resources, um, that aggregate, uh, co-packers or review co-packers, but, um, that's definitely a very important relationship. Um, for sure. That, I, I don't want to take lightly um, and needs to be super solid uh, for the RTD. I have for the, for the elixirs, I have a, I have a potential co-packer that's very solid. So. Um, yeah. I mean, part of it's going to be, you know, when you, one, it's just finding them to <clears throat> the, the response that you get from them, you know, the the first response is usually an indication of how how well the relationship is going to go, um, right? So if the response at the beginning, that's great. If they're not, it's probably a sign, um, right? If they're not continuing to respond to emails, whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I think co-packers are definitely a key component to making this making making it work. But they're not the only component. Um, but you want to you you want to make sure you treat them like remember that they are running a business as well right i know sometimes co-packers get you know people are like ah, i have this terrible relationship with my co-packer yes sometimes that can happen but at the end of the day right they are also running their own business and uh rather than just treating them as like a vendor right treat them as if they were another treat them as if they were your head of production right for your own team and make sure they have all the information they need, make sure the expectations are set up front, right? And so a lot of that can be on you. Some of that's on them for sure. And, uh, but go, in, go into the relationship as if they were an extension of your team rather than just, you know. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think all the relationships, you know, um, that, you know, my, my company is so relationship driven. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. You know, I think that's a wonderful point. Um, awesome. Any uh, any last questions or, I don't know, do you want to share? I don't know, are you ready to share like, okay, Julietta, what are your, what are your next steps? What's, what's it going to take to, to either make this happen or not? Making it not happen is totally a viable, like, you don't have to say yes to, to every new idea, uh, that, that you have. Right. Totally. Well, my one last question before I summarize what I think I'm going to do is, um, asking about label design. Um, I, I have the opportunity to bring on a, a graffiti artist to, to do some design work, to collaborate, um, doing a collaboration with somebody like an influencer on design um in your experience is that is that um diluting of the brand is it potentially with the cross marketing positive or are there any kind of things i should look out for yeah it's a good question i we've never done a collaboration from a sort of pure design perspective we've done a co-branded sort of private label um but We've never had a sort of design influencer per se come in and like 
design a special label for our product. So I would, you know, treat that again, treat that designer influencer like another person, figure out uh, what you want, like, what do you, what is the benefit for you of having this person involved in the design process? What are the expectations of them once the product has been designed? What are the, are there royalties? Like, what are the financial expectations? What are the promotional expectations, right? Thinking through all of these things so that you don't get in a situation where, I don't know, you pay them X amount of money up front for this design. They don't promote it at all or whatever it is, or you don't like talk about them at all when you talk about the brand. So just kind of making sure you're on the same page, right? It's not, it's not a co-founder relationship per se, but it's, it's this relationship that is, is really important because both brands are sort of being showcased on this label. And so the only thing I would be careful about is there's sort of aesthetic design and then there is sort of copy hierarchy design, right? So somebody's going to need to be involved in deciding how big your logo is, how big the flavor component is, right? And making sure that you check all the boxes when it comes to sort of what the FDA label requirements are and things like that rather and depending on what this person's experience is they may or may not have that particular experience um and so making sure that when you're thinking about your costs right do you have this person that's in the design influencer world design something and then all of a sudden you're like oh now i have to hire a design agency to like fix this or update this to make it consumer friendly, if you will. Yeah. Um, yeah. Duly noted. I would, um, I would work, I would take a, some design element and then have a designer incorporate it into a label that was compliant. Um, but yeah, all the stuff that you're talking about, absolutely being really clear um, and, and over communicate. <laughs> Totally. Yes. Great. So, yeah, I mean, I I think, I think I really, you know, there's just some things that stood out in this um, that I feel like before I leap, I need to, I need to work through a few details on the Elixir line and maybe even change it to bitters again, you know, like just that, that alone was such a, like a a light bulb um, in terms of name. Uh, and then, you know, getting a co-packer for the elixirs and streamlining our production, getting me more into sales, um, all of those things, they really make so much sense. Maybe, maybe editing our, our SKUs down to, you know, from, from 12 down to, to, down to five, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it's so, I, I mean, yes, I, yes to all of those things. And just a reminder that it's so much easier to make these changes now when you're doing, when you're controlling the production and you can say, you know what, I'm going to test this out and I'm going to order 50 labels, right? That like, and see if this new word like works, right? Whereas when you're doing a co-packing run and you have to order a hundred thousand labels, 
And then you're like, either I spelled that wrong or, you know, something like that word just doesn't connect with my audience or whatever it is, you're, you know, you're out a lot of money, right? Yeah, totally. So I think that's what, that's my most immediate, I would say, you know, next three to six month, um, right in front of me. And then in the background, I'll continue to do the research like we talked about and just continue to, to, you know, add the, add the chips into the pros and cons pile. And see yeah. which one's bigger. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And uh, it, it does, it makes me want to, it makes me want to do a one-on-one with you. Um, yeah, to, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, cool. and, and yeah, I mean, on the one-on-ones, I, I think we do, you mentioned it earlier, but just talking about the high level and then talking about the granular and just really getting into the details to figure out like, okay, is this going to work? And then thinking about the high level as well. So, uh, would, would love to do that with you. Um, please, as you go through this sort of checklist of things, keep us posted in the Facebook group, um, in retail ready, feel free to tag me and Allie along the way. And of course we'll share our feedback. Uh, I'm always excited about the ready to drink space. I think, uh, at some point it'd be really fun to do another, like, I would love to do another ready to drink. I just, I'm not ready now. Um, but, uh, it's, I love talking about this space and, um, I, I appreciate you, coming on the podcast to to talk about it with me so oh it was a thrill yeah it's just just great to to be able to open source all of these questions (laughs) amazing so julietta do you want to tell everybody where they can find c'est bon yeah in in the world (laughs) the easiest thing to do is just to go to cebon.com c-e-y-b-o-n.com and then we have a list of all of our vendors and um yeah, I mean, if you're in the Bay Area, we're at every Ritual Cafe and at Ritual SFO. Um, a number of different hotels, one hotel, uh, Emblem, Trick Dog Bar, um, but you can find them all, Rainbow Grocery. Um, you can find them all on the website. And then Instagram, you know, we, we do the, the IG thing, at Sabon. So. Awesome. Julieta, thank you so much. Uh, absolutely loved this conversation. Looking forward to hearing how everything goes to a one-on-one call with you to more feedback in the Facebook group. And uh, everybody, thank you so much for tuning into this episode uh, with Julieta from Sebon. This is exactly the type of one-on-one consulting that I do exclusively for Retail Ready students day in and day out. Uh, Can't wait to hear what you thought of this episode. If you are also thinking about a ready-to-drink space, let us know if this was helpful. Um, As I mentioned at the top of the show, this is our last episode of season 17 of the Food Business Podcast. So we are taking a break next week to rest, to celebrate. So we'll be back in two weeks as we kick off season 18 of the podcast with episode 200. So uh, we'll see you then. And thanks everybody for listening. Thanks for listening to Food Biz Whiz. If you're enjoying this podcast and the tools it gives you for growing your packaged product business, please subscribe so you never miss an episode. From one small business owner to another, I am deeply grateful for your support of this podcast, and I appreciate it when you share it with your fellow food founders, share it on social media, or leave me a review on your listening platform. Ready for more? 
find out how we can work together at foodbizwiz.com. I'll see you right back here next week.